the sixth chapter, as we're journeying through 2 Corinthians, we've studied chapters 1 through 5, and we're going to continue in chapter 6 this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Father, as we come this morning, uh, this week after we celebrate it in such a wonderful way, Resurrection Sunday, and, and Lord, I pray that every Sunday really would be uh, a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and because we have a newness of life that is in us, and knowing that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, dying for our sins, that, that we become a new creation in Christ as we give our hearts to you and surrender, we're, Lord, a new creation in Christ, and born again by the Spirit of God. And Lord, we know that you desire to use us to be light. You desire to use us to, Lord, just be a blessing and uh, to a world that needs to hear that news that Jesus Christ is alive, that he has made provision of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. So as we go through this epistle, we know that it's for us today and we can make application in helping us be your ambassadors as we saw in our last study of 2 Corinthians. And Paul making that point that one of the uh, reasons why he was motivated for ministry, one of the reasons that he lived a life pleasing to you, Lord, was because we are your ambassadors, to be able to give this wonderful news of the gospel to others and how the world desperately, desperately needs to hear that news. So Lord, I pray that right now our hearts would be teachable, that we be still before you and settled in and and we would remember that our cell phones need to be turned down and and um and or turned off or uh, we just want to be free for these next few moments to hear from you as we study the written word knowing that you desire to speak to us very clearly and for us to make application so thank you for this time that we have together and it's in jesus name that we pray amen now, one of the things that when you read 2 Corinthians, and you're probably noticing it as we go through this, this epistle here, that the Corinthian church um, really didn't appreciate Paul's ministry to them. And, and certainly there were plenty of Christians there in Corinth that were challenging his apostolic authority. And the church should have been defending Paul and the ministry that he brought to them. They should have never made Paul be in a place where he had to defend his ministry to them. Paul was giving to them. He was an incredible example to them of one that would bring the gospel. He never took from them. He never asked for support. He was one that continued to love them and to bring correction to them. And in the church in Corinth, they were ones that were constantly just kind of holding Paul out at arm's length. In the church here in Corinth, they were boasting in the Judaizers, the legalists, and others who were claiming to be super apostles and prophets that really had come in and invaded the church. And as they did, they were putting Paul down. And yet those false ministers, as Paul is going to call them, had done nothing of spiritual value and importance for the Christians there in Corinth. So Paul is reminding them of the ministry that, that he had brought to them, the ministry that God had given to him and bring in Jesus Christ and him crucified. You might recall in 1 Corinthians that Paul said that, you know that when I first came to you, that I didn't come in, in man's wisdom and I didn't come with persuasive words, but I came in, in much fear and trembling 
and in a power demonstration of the Holy Spirit, determined not to preach anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In this letter here, we see that Paul is very open and very honest about his ministry. And he has been talking about the afflictions that he has experienced in the ministry. And as he is, he's saying it's light for a moment in comparison to the glory of heaven that awaits. And then he would say that we live a life that is pleasing to God. And we saw last time in chapter 5 that Paul would give three motivational reasons why he was one that would live a life, continue to live a life that was pleasing to God, continue in this ministry that God had given to them, even though it was a very, very difficult uh, ministry in the things that he went through, the persecutions and the sufferings that he experienced. He said that, that we all one day as Christians are going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, and we're going to receive rewards for what we have done for Christ, and knowing that the fear of the Lord uh, persuade men is, is what we do. And so Paul knew that one day that you and I will stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, not to be judged for our sin. We're not talking about salvation. That was taken care of by Jesus as he died on the cross for you and for me. And there is nothing that you and I can do to earn heaven. It's the free gift of salvation as we come and put our faith and trust in who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you and for me. So we can never earn our way to heaven. But with that said, this scripture talks about that there are rewards and crowns that await us when we stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I'm going to continue to run my race to win the prize. That's one of the motivations why I continue in this ministry, because there's a glory that awaits me that's nothing in comparison to the light affliction that I am going through presently. So that was one of the motivational reasons. And then second of all, he would say in verse 14 of chapter 5, that it's the love of Christ that compels us. And Paul was a man, as you read about what he writes to the Christians, you see very clearly that he was just amazed at the love of God, that God would love somebody like me. Paul would say that the grace of God is so incredible that, that he would give me this ministry of the gospel to give to others, one who was a waster of the church. Now remember that Paul, before his conversion, was one that uh, he was a persecutor of the church. And so he was amazed at the incredible grace and love of God. And he says, it's the love of Christ going to the cross for me and dying for somebody like me. That motivates me to keep living a life that is pleasing to him and in this ministry that God has given to me. And then thirdly, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. People need to hear about the good news of the gospel. So these things that Paul outlined that we saw last time that kept him motivated in, in continuing in the ministry of the gospel and in a life that is pleasing to God. And so now, as we move into chapter 6, Paul is going to continue talking about ministry and what he's going to show us and tell us is that he's going to show us what his ministry was all about, the characteristics of his ministry, the marks of his ministry. And I think that chapter 6, that as Paul gives his resume for ministry, if you would, that it's going to be very, very rich for you and for me in helping us learn to be better ministers of the Lord in this ministry of reconciliation that all of us have been called to. So as we pick up our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, uh, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 
So one of the great things to realize that as workers of Jesus Christ it is that we just don't work for Christ, but we need to understand that we work with Christ. And we are co-workers with Christ. We are his ambassadors. We have this ministry of reconciliation. And so we work with Christ. One of the things that I try to remember when someone walks into the church or somebody's new to the church and perhaps I introduce them to Pastor Jim or I, I introduce them to Travis or one of the other ministry leaders, uh, I don't introduce them, for example, to and say, this is Pastor Jim. Uh, he is one that works for me. Uh, I try to kind of stay away from that because I don't see him as or anybody else in that way. I see them as co-laboring with me in the ministry. And the Lord is very much alive. And he wants to work in us. And he wants to work through us. And he wants to work with us in this ministry of reconciliation. It isn't like the Lord sends us out on some assignment and says, well, this is what I want you to do. And good luck and hope, you know, things go well but rather he is with me and he's with you. He's with us moment by moment and day by day. And I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to me. He says that you're working with me. We're working together. Now notice that we are workers together with him. Paul never said that God works together with us. In other words, it isn't our work that God helps us with. It is his work that he asks us to do together with him. And that's important for us to understand. In other words, there can be Christians and ministries and, and churches that can say, let's do this thing. We got this money perhaps and, and we want to try this ministry or do this program or have this outreach and go in this direction perhaps. And we can say, all right. And our intentions may be good. There's no, no question about that. But we say, okay, Lord, please bless it and get behind what it is that we are doing rather than, Lord, we are workers with you. And Lord, what is it that you want us to do in this particular ministry to do this outreach, to go in this direction? Lord, you're the one that you lead us and you guide us and you do the work that you want to do through us and we'll get behind what you want to do, and we know that you will bless it, because we're working together with you, Lord. And notice, too, that Paul, telling us that we are workers, the Lord desires for us to, to be those workers, uh, bringing the ministry of reconciliation to others, such as friends and family and neighbors, whoever it is that is linked to us in our lives. And we are workers together with him. It's not just being in a state of complacency or being in a state of ease and comfort, or just being apathetic, whatever it might be, inactivity. So as workers of Christ, he desires for us to be used. And we can say with confidence that the Lord is with us, available to us as we labor for him. You may not know right now a whole lot of Bible. You may not consider yourself one that has a lot of counseling skills. But you can know that the Lord is with you, He's with me in this work that we do for him to guide us and direct us, to strengthen us, to give us wisdom as, as we tell others of the love of Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified, what he did for us and, and dying for us on the cross of Calvary. And people might try to discourage you from ministering. Hey, you don't have a certain degree or you don't have this certain training. What makes you think that you can go and minister? 
But the fact of the matter is, is that the Lord is real and he's with us. And you and I have this privilege of working with him and we can minister to those who are hurting and we can minister to those who are wondering and we can minister to those who are weeping as we minister reconciliation and we point people to Jesus Christ. You recall if you were with us in our study on Wednesday night in that heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 5, that it was John the Apostle that was weeping in that heavenly scene because there was no one that was worthy to take the scroll, the title deed of the earth, and to open it up. And one of the elders came to John and said, John, don't weep because there is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has prevailed and he is worthy to open up the scroll. And you see, I mentioned that because in this ministry of reconciliation, we too can be like that elder as we talk to those who wonder as we talk to those who are wrestling with things, as we talk to those who are weeping in life, we can say to them, don't weep, because available right now, right here, is the line of the tribe of Judah. And he has prevailed. And every single one of us, we can do that. And I know that a lot of you, as I talk with you, that you're enjoying just praying for people and sharing with people, and as they come to you, who are hurting and confused, as they share their heartaches and struggles. And we're finding out that we don't have to have all the time this profound, deep wisdom or always this some scholarly answer for them. But what we can do is say this, that I'll pray for you, and I'll pray for you right now. And we can tell them that Jesus is the one that has prevailed, and he's real, and he's available for them if they just look to him and believe on him, and he's the one that's in control, and he's the one sitting on the throne, as John would discover in that heavenly scene. For those of us who are in this room, if we would just say, I am determined this week to point someone who may be wondering, who may be weeping to the line of the tribe of Judah and pray for them and with them, and encourage them. The ministry that would take place would be very much eternally impacting. And you and I can do that because he is with us. Emmanuel is his name. And as most of you know, Emmanuel means God with us. And we need to get back to Emmanuel, I believe, that the Lord is with us right here, right now. And he desires to use us as we work together with him. Well, Paul continues writing in verse 2, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the next time that somebody asks you what day it is or what time it is, you can tell them, hey, it's, it's the day of salvation. That's what it is. It's the acceptable time. That's what time it is. And Paul here says, we share in this ministry workers together with him, and there's a sense of urgency. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And if you are here this morning, if anybody is listening, and you're not yet born again by the Spirit of God, the Lord would say to you, now is the time. And today is the day of salvation. For Him to help you and bring forgiveness to you, to save you, it's urgent. Whatever time it is right now, it is time for you. If you feel a stirring in your heart, the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart to know that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you in place of you so that you can have forgiveness of sin and live in eternity with him in heaven 
Open up your heart to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Paul would write in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart to that truth because there may not be a tomorrow. There may not be a tomorrow. And as Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8, he is not only telling us today is the day of salvation, but also Paul wants to give the Christians there at Corinth a perspective that this is no time for Christians for us as well here at Calvary Chapel to be living our lives to where we're just focused on ourselves, that we're doing our own thing, that we're not interested in doing the, the business and the things and the work of the kingdom of God. So Paul here is kind of lighting a fire under them. He's saying it's time to get busy for the Lord, not to be wasting this time of what you're doing with these false apostles and prophets and Judaizers and all of this. It's time to say, today is the day of salvation. It's time to give that message to others and to pray with others and to work with him together as we have this ministry of reconciliation. It's with urgency. Now's the acceptable time. In verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So Paul's desire was to be blameless as an ambassador of Christ, bringing the message of reconciliation. It's important that our message in this urgency, that we cannot allow offense to come in, that the ministry would be blamed or people would not respond. So Paul took that ministry very seriously, and, and Paul was not afraid to offend anyone over the gospel of Jesus Christ because it did offend others. But he was sensitive in not allowing his lifestyle or his ministry to just stumble others. That's why he did not take support from the Corinthian believers. He said, I did not want to stumble you guys. I want to be blameless before you. In verse 4, but in all things, as we get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. So Paul now is going to give his resume to the Christians here at Corinth, and here are the things that he will list to commend or approve himself for ministry. People will ask me, how they can commend themselves for ministry. How is it that I can be approved for ministry? Well, we're going to learn here, Paul says that we commend ourselves as ministers, and, and this is what you know, ministry has been for us. And I want us to notice as we read verses 4 through 10 here, Paul given his resume for ministry, the marks of ministry, what characterizes ministry. Notice in verses 4 and 5 he says, in these things... In verses 6 through 8, you'll notice he says, by these things. And then verses 9 and 10, as these things. So first of all, in these things, and then by these things, and as these things, we continue reading in verse 4, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting. So Paul, what school did you go to? He says, I went to the school being imprisoned and being beaten and starving. I went to the school that required going hungry and not getting any sleep. He starts out by saying with much patience. Paul's first qualification was patience. And it's interesting to me that Paul would start this list with patience. It might be translated in your Bible as endurance. Who's approved for ministry? 
It is the man or the woman that is patient, that has endurance. And many times what happens is we're not patient, so we don't endure. What happens is people get frustrated. They end up quitting the ministry that God has given to them. You have to be patient in serving the Lord. Because oftentimes the Lord is really preparing us and molding us. He's working through us some incredible things. When you study the life of David in the Old Testament, which we have done, you know that when Samuel came to anoint David as king of Israel, David was only about 12, 13 years old. But David didn't reign over Israel until he was 30 years old. And many of those years before being king, David was running from Saul. As you go through those chapters of 1 Samuel, he, he was running from Saul who was persecuting him, and the nation was divided before he reigned over the whole nation. But God was doing the work in David, preparing him so that David would become the greatest king that Israel ever had. And David had patience. He endured those times of waiting. I can't help but think about Moses. Moses, who was raised in the palace of Pharaoh, he was raised there in the first 40 years of his life. He was next in line to be Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. But then he looked out on his brethren, the Jews, and they were in bondage. They were in need. And Moses wanted to get involved in helping them. Did you know that at that time? Acts chapter 7 tells us that as Stephen is given that, that testimony before the Sanhedrin council. And in Acts chapter 7, that as he's recounting the life of Moses, he said that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing them suffer, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 25, it says this, for he supposed that as Moses, that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. In other words, at the time that Moses was 40 years old, in line to be the next Pharaoh, as Hebrews says, that he would pass and give up the passing pleasure of sin, not wanting to be called the one of Pharaoh or the daughter of Pharaoh but to suffer affliction with his brethren. At that time, Moses thought that he was going to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt at that time. He thought that he could stick his nose in everybody's business. So he breaks up a fight between two Hebrews, and they said, who made you a judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And Moses at that time would flee, and it took 40 years, the next 40 years, to get Egypt out of Moses to where he ended up being the most humble man on the face of the earth. And the scripture says that the Lord would then come to him when he was 80 years old and said, now Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. I've heard their cries. And what was the response of Moses? Moses was, who am I? Who am I to, that I should deliver the children of Israel from Egypt? It took 40 years to make Moses go from I'm ready to take over and make it happen to learn to dwell in contentment and in patience on the backside of the desert. Because the scripture says that Moses was content to stay there. So here you have David, and here you have Moses, who waited, they were patient, endured those years of being prepared by the Lord. And by the way, where was David and Moses when they were called to their respective ministries? 
they were both out with their father's sheep. And I want to say this to perhaps anyone who perhaps really wants to be involved in ministry. You want to learn and be prepared to do ministry, then you be here with the sheep. You be here with the father's sheep, and you be patient. And you don't get ahead of the Lord, and let him prepare you, so that when the time comes, you'll be ready to minister and serve in the way that he wants you to. What he's put on your heart. 2 Samuel chapter 18, speaking of David again. David, this time in 2 Samuel chapter 18, he had been king of Israel, but his son Absalom led this rebellion against his father. So David fled Jerusalem. He crosses over the Jordan River. He's on the east side of the Jordan River. He is fleeing, and so it would be Joab who was leading David's men into war against Absalom and the children of Israel. And David is there, hid out in the city. And Joab and his men, they went to war against Absalom's forces, and Absalom was killed, and and David was back in the city waiting for the news of what was going on. And Joab would say to the Cushite, Cushite, go and run and tell David the news and that his son Absalom is dead. So he took off running. But there was the son of Zadok. His name was Ahimehaz. And he said to Joab, I want to run, I want to go. No, you stay here. I've already sent somebody else. I want to run. I want to go. And he bugged and he, you know, kept asking Joab. And all of a sudden, it was Joab that said, go, get out of here. You're driving me nuts. So Ahimehaz took off running. He ended up passing the Cushite who had left before he did. And he gets to the gate of the city where David is waiting to hear the news. And Ahimehaz comes. And what happened to my son Absalom? Well, there was a battle out there. You know, yeah, I know that. And there was a lot of noise out there. A lot of commotion going on. People fighting everywhere. Yeah, I know that. What about Absalom? Well, I don't know. Stand over here, David would say. To him a haze. The watchman cries out, there's somebody else coming. It was the Cushite. And David would then get the information that your son is dead. I think that sometimes there are those with the best of intentions and zeal and with real enthusiasm. They want to take off like a him a haze. Just take off running. And, and then they have to deal with the issues and they have to deal with the circumstances. And what's the story on this? And it's, I don't know. Well, how do we do, and how come, and beats me, and I'm just kind of just running. And I tell you the story of 2 Samuel chapter 18, not to inhibit anyone from serving the Lord. Please don't misunderstand me, but sometimes I've had people tell me, I got great vision, I I got great passion, and those things are all great. Um, I want to do these things, but the Lord needs to do work in them and prepare them. They need to learn about the scriptures. That we all need to learn to be servants. To be here amongst the sheep. Learn how to to serve people. To wash feet. To be patient. And Paul is telling us in ministry, be patient. It is something that Paul had to learn, isn't it? 
I think he listed that verse because it was the first thing that Paul had to learn in his life when he came to the Lord was patience. When he was converted on the way to Damascus, you know the story, that he desired to go to his countrymen, the Jews. So he goes into the synagogue there in Damascus and he tells them about Jesus. He preached Christ to them, but they didn't receive or respond to Paul. So Paul at that time goes down to the desert for, in Arabia for three years. And there he comes back to Damascus. And he goes back into the synagogue and he preaches. This time the Jews did respond, but the way they responded was, we're going to kill you, Paul. So Paul had to escape, let down over the wall in a basket under nightfall. And then he goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the synagogue there, and there the Jews wanted to kill him in Jerusalem. So it was the apostles. They said, listen, we got to send Paul away. we got to get him out of here. He's going to end up getting killed. So they sent him back to Tarsus, and that's where Paul stayed, do you realize, for about 10 years. For 10 years, you don't hear anything about Paul the apostle. The Lord was preparing him. The Lord was ministering to him. Paul had to learn to make tents because he was no longer a religious leader. He had lost everything. And Paul, who so desperately wanted to minister to the Jews, God said that your primary ministry is going to be to the Gentiles. Sometimes the Lord will place a ministry on your heart. You'll have a desire to minister in such a powerful way. And we can take off running. We want things to happen right away. And the Lord is saying, be patient. Let me work in you before I work through you. And he desires for us to learn to be servants, to love people, to die to ourselves, to die to our own agendas, our own way of doing things. He's working and he's molding and he's teaching. And all of us need to learn to be patient and trust in the Lord and rest in what he is doing and endure. And as the scripture says, do not despise the day of small things. And the reason that I'm spending a little bit of time on this this morning, because I see again and again and again, over 20 years of ministry, those who had vision and desire and enthusiasm to engage in ministry, and they take off running, and they get frustrated because things aren't happening the way that they thought. They don't endure. And the Lord is wanting to teach them, hey, I want you to just be faithful in the little things. Can you just be faithful in the little things? Then I'll give you greater things to do. I want you to learn to be content where you're at. It's a lesson that I know I'm constantly learning all the time and growing in. The multitudes had gathered there to shore the Sea of Galilee to hear Jesus, as Luke chapter 5 tells us. So he got into one of the boats where Peter was sitting in, and he said, go out a little ways from the shore, Peter, and so Peter did. And Jesus would teach the multitudes from that boat. And then Jesus turned to Peter when he was done and said, Now, Peter, I want you to launch out into the deep and put down your nets. And you know that Peter let down his nets, and the catch was, of fish was great. It was huge. almost sank the boat. Sometimes we can say, Lord, I want to go out into the deep and have this huge catch, this great ministry. And the Lord says to us, just as he said to Peter, can you first just go out a little? Can you do that first? Can you be obedient in that? Can you come and just serve the people in some way? Can you encourage the people? Can you continue growing in the scriptures? Can you learn to be a servant and to love people? To be with the sheep? Can you do that faithfully? And then if it is my will, then we'll continue on. 
but I want to do a work in you so that when you do run, that you have something to share. So Paul says that we had patience, endurance. We have learned in tribulations. We've learned in needs and in distress. Paul's resume as an apostle, as an ambassador, as a co-worker with Jesus. Tribulations, needs, we're in distress, verse 4, and then verse 5, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, which speak of angry mobs that came to Paul like it did in the city of Philippi, and then later in Ephesus, and then in Jerusalem. In verse 5, he's talking about the sufferings directly inflicted by men. When you desire to engage in ministry, realize not everyone's going to applaud you. Paul goes on to say, in labors and sleeplessness and fastings. So Paul is not complaining here. He, he is saying, this is what we've endured in ministry. And then verse 6, he begins to describe the, the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Verse 6, notice by. By purity, by knowledge, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. It's important for us as co-laborers of Christ to live and have purity in our lives. A lack of purity with those who minister, it hurts the ministry, it hurts the church, it hurts the Christians, it hurts their families. And unfortunately, in 20 years of ministry, I have heard of pastors, and I've even known some, that are no longer ministering because they fell into sin. The repercussions were great. And I take time to remind all of us that one of the characteristics of one who desires to minister is there needs to be purity in their life. Too many pastors, too many ministers, chaplains, clergy have fallen into adultery, hooked on pornography, some moral failing, and the sin is found out, and a whole lot of people get hurt, and their families get hurt, and their lives get hurt. So purity is important. And know that it's important to God. Paul goes on to say in verse 6, by knowledge. To be effective in ministry is important to grow in the knowledge of God's word. And I firmly believe that the best way to do that corporately is study the scriptures like what we do, line upon line, verse by verse. To be going through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But also you need to have your own devotions. You need to have Bible studies. You grow in the knowledge of God's Word, and I can't emphasize enough the importance of growing in the Scriptures, especially in these days, because we are seeing the importance of the Scripture diminish in the church today. And there's a lot of other voices that are out there. Lots of opinions and ideas and advice, a lot of entertainment, whatever it might be. And we need to be knowledgeable of God's word, all of us, because that's a great thing. What I have to give to you is God's love and God's word, and that's what's of importance and significance. So Paul says we commend ourselves, we approve ourselves as ministers of God by knowledge. He would tell his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul says by long-suffering, by kindness. I think that people today long to have a pastor, to have as a co-laborer of Christ, to be kind, to be tender, caring, led by the Holy Spirit, and by a sincere love that is a love that is real. And may we all minister in that way, that minister in what God has called us to by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't minister out of the flesh. You can try to minister out of the flesh. You can do it for a little bit, but you're going to find out you're going to have to maintain it in the flesh. It won't work. 
I want the Holy Spirit to lead this ministry and lead my ministry and your ministry. And one of the great lessons that we do learn about David's life is that he was one that constantly inquired of the Lord. He was led by the Lord. And as Zechariah says, that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. May we as ministers show and display the love of God. Genuine love is so desperately needed today. We don't need pious pretenders, celebrity Christians, and selfish ministers. But what the church does need is those who have real godly love for others. The love that the Spirit of God has put into their hearts. He goes on, verse 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. As we live rightly in all areas in the power of God, the phrase on the right hand and on the left points to both offensive and defensive weapons. It has a mind in both advancing and being attacked. And then in the next three verses, Paul is going to be given what is known as the nine pairs of paradoxes, speaking of his conflicting responses to his ministry and the result of his labor. Verse 8, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. So Paul here is concluding his resume. Paul will list his references describing what both the world would think of him and then what God would think of him. The world and the worldly Corinthian Christians that were coming down on Paul, criticizing him, putting him down in his ministry, used words like deceiver, unknown, dishonor, evil report, and so forth. But God would describe Paul's ministry as honor and good report, true and well-known, and so forth. And so in these paradoxes, you and I need to realize that we will experience the same things in our ministry as well, by honor and dishonor. There are some people that will look at your ministry and they'll disapprove of your ministry. They don't like that you're ministering. But God approves of it as you're doing what he wants you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit, by evil report and by good report. There are some things that, are, that people will say about you that are very ugly. Because again, the world doesn't want you ministering. But we continue to serve the Lord. And the Lord says, do you have a good report? As deceivers and yet true. Again, the world will say that we're deceiving as we're bringing religiousness to people. But we know that we're not bringing religiousness, we're bringing the truth of God's word, the word of truth. It's unknown and, and yet well known. One of the things that the Lord has brought me more and more to the place, it's, it's okay with me if I am unknown by the world, if my ministry is unknown. As long as it's known by the Lord, that's the priority. As long as a good report by the Lord. As long as the Lord is rejoicing in the work that is being done. I want him to know what it is that I am doing. The kingdom of God knows. And know that as you serve the Lord, that your work is not in vain. So continue to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, is what Paul writes in his first letter to them. And you see, as you are doing the work of the ministry, your priority is, Lord, I want you to know this work. Oh, the world may know it, but come against it and give you a bad report. 
You're not going to be in the who's who of, of the world and all of this, but the Lord's going to know, and the Lord's going to reward you greatly for it. But also know that as you are known by the kingdom of God, that also that the kingdom of darkness is going to take notice as well. And know that there's going to be a meeting by the enemy and his co-laborers, that they're going to have a meeting and your name's going to come up. And the enemy is going to see you as a threat. And he's going to come against you and try to do anything that he can to keep from ministering for the Lord and to the Lord. And so we need to remember that the world may not take notice, but heaven takes notice when we serve him in a way that's pleasing to him. And know that the enemy will also as well. And he's going to try to keep you from ministering. So don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, as we've already seen in this epistle, as Paul has said. Put on the whole armor of God. And know that, that the Lord is with us, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He goes on, he says, as dying, behold, we live, and chastened, and not yet killed, as sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Paul would express his sorrow, didn't he, to the Corinthians, as we've already seen. He said, I've, I with anguish of heart have written to you, with many tears. He cared deeply for these Christians that were being carnal, and it brought, brought sorrow to Paul. How about you and me? When we see others that are not doing well in the things of the Lord, or we see those who don't know the Lord, what's our reaction? Is it pointing to them condemningly? Or does it bring sorrow to our hearts? It brought sorrows to Jesus' heart. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the scripture says. He was one that had compassion upon the multitudes, as he saw the multitudes as a sheep without a shepherd. It was the religious leaders with their pride and with their arrogance that showed contempt for the people that would come down and hard on the people. But Paul, when he wept, it wasn't for himself and his own hurts. He wept for the state of others. I pray that we would weep for the state of others who don't know the Lord or for Christians who aren't doing well in the Lord. And it would cause us to move out to minister, to give truth, to give the gospel, to be one of a minister of reconciliation. Paul concludes by saying we are poor, having nothing but rich, possessing all things. Do you realize that we are rich in Christ? If you want to see how rich we really are and how blessed we really are, you come to the Revelation study on Wednesday night. And we're going to see what the Lord has done for us and what he has prepared for us. We are rich in Christ, much richer than anything that this world could ever give to us. So Paul here, giving the true marks of ministry, it's different than what people think. But here the Word of God encourages us that as ministries of reconciliation, setting the record straight, that this is what ministry really is about, serving people, moving out in the power of the Holy Spirit, having patience, allowing the Lord to do that work, and doing that work that is internally impacting for the kingdom of God. And know this, that the world is going to applaud you, the world is going to take notice at times, but that's okay. Because, Lord, you do, and it pleases you, and heaven rejoices as we do his work for his kingdom and for his glory. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this important few verses that we've gone over, and I pray that it's been an encouragement, as it, a good message to follow up after Easter, after we, again, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after we realize that we're born again by the Spirit of God, that we have a living hope through his resurrection, we have forgiveness. But Lord, you desire for us 
to be ministers of reconciliation. Not just to sit on that, but to be active and go out and to be praying for people and serving people and, and, and sharing with them truth. And I pray that all of our hearts that we would be stirred this morning, understanding that, Lord, that we are workers with you, that you desire to use all of us, every single one of us, where you have us placed and what we're able to do and praying for people or just perhaps encouraging them, giving truth, just serving people, loving people, knowing that that will impact their hearts and their lives for the kingdom. Lord, I do pray that as we've learned, Paul says there's an urgency, and I know that there's an urgency today because as we have been talking about and learning that you're coming back. You're coming back soon, and tomorrow isn't promised to any of us anyway. So Lord, today is the day of salvation. And if there is anyone here that's listening to this message, or you're out in a coffee shop, if anyone... If you have not opened your heart to Jesus Christ, we invite you to do so right now. To give your life to Jesus Christ. There's no other salvation. He is alive. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins. And the scripture says that all of us have sinned. He's our only hope. He's the one that fulfilled the law perfectly. The one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. So you surrender your heart to him as Lord and Savior. The scripture says repent. That is turn directions and where you're going. And turn to Jesus, the light of the world. And you can pray in your heart, if that's you, today is the day of salvation. You pray, Lord, today I hear the message. And I surrender my heart to you as Lord and Savior. Be my personal Lord and Savior, Jesus, because I have sinned and I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, that you came and died for my sins, all of my sins. Thank you for dying for me. And that you rose from the grave and you're alive and you're alive in my heart right now. And thank you for hearing my prayer. And help me to, to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. For anybody who perhaps prayed that prayer here, we want to bless you. We want to encourage you. I want you to just raise your hand so we can pray for you this morning. Anybody in this service at this time or if you're out in a coffee shop, you can raise your hand. Anybody at all. We're not going to prolong this. But we always give opportunity for people to truly come to Jesus Christ. It isn't coming to church that's going to save you or hearing a Bible study, as good as that is. It is the heart.